you think you're trapped, but the reality is it's, the, it's because of your of the way you think. Now, it's it's not fair to say it's all your fault because you have been trained a certain way, and that training is kind of force-fed, and you don't feel like you have any choice, which is true, especially when you're younger. But there comes a point when you become a fully autonomous adult that you do have a choice. So if things aren't working for you, then the training system that you grew up in rather is, is producing results that are suboptimal, then, then you have to retrain your mind. Because if you're not training your mind, the world is training it for you and the results will speak for themselves. Hello, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to the Live on Bone podcast, Conversations Without Limits. This podcast is for people who would like to listen to real, open, honest and courageous conversations. It's all about human potential and performance and exploring the edges of what we are capable of. I'm your host, Steve McDonnell, and we're trading training, a high performance and transformational coach to leaders and teams all over the world. I am honored to welcome Mark Devine to today's conversation. Mark is somebody who has had a significant positive impact in my life. From a distance initially, through reading his books, to then training under Mark, to now being coached one-to-one by Mark, I have you know, transformed in many ways as a result of Mark's, I suppose, inspiration, wisdom, and teachings. Mark is a thought leader, an innovator, Navy SEAL commander, best-selling author, yoga master, entrepreneur, change maker, you know, currently doing a PhD in, in leadership and change, and, and the list goes on. So I think, you know, for me, this this has been something that I've dreamt of in terms of working with Mark and, and now actually having a podcast with him as a guest. So without further ado, I'm going to just hand it over to the conversation and let's get stuck in. Uh, I first came across your, I think it's your first book, The Wave of the Seal. That your first um, yeah book right so yeah there it is yeah you know still have it and uh, I just said you know what would be a good idea if I just said I'll go back into that book and I just see if I can like what what have I highlighted you know I, I got this maybe 20, 2016, 2017 so mm-hmm. I was curious about kind of what I was what I was reflecting on and what what stood out to me back then and one of the very first pages I opened up page thirty one and I just highlighted something on that page and I'm going to read it out. And I want to just explore that with you, if you, know, you know, if that's okay, let's put it that way. So things felt almost mystical as my mind slowed down and allowed a larger intelligence and calmness to flow through me. I know I would have died if I tried to think my way out. My front side focus combined with unconscious competence developed by relentless and realistic training had saved my life. Hmm. Cool. So that's... um. I wrote that, huh? <laughs> so yes, you wrote that, and I've no doubt my mind you wrote that. So can you tell me? Let's let's explore that for a start. <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, there's. I mean, this this could this is like the. That's like the center post of. All my teaching. Is that, you really have, two aspects of your being. One is the observed objective physical reality and your cognition, which is largely driven by what you become consciously aware of, but also the subconscious programming, which is largely hidden from view. 
and all of that is trained, right? It's, it's trained by society, by media, by culture, by your family. And then there's this aspect of your being, which is life force itself. It's, you know, it's, it's beyond consciousness. It's the reason it's the a priori fact of your existence. It's universal mm. knowledge, universal wisdom, universal love. So we are that also, but it's largely hidden from view in the human condition. We mistake the, the prior as reality, which then hides the latter from us. The good news is for humans is that you can retrain your mind. And in that process of retraining, you can surrender and move beyond or clear, clear up those misperceptions that hide that truth from you. And when you do, then you allow that radiant energy, love, life force out, right? It's like, you know, imagine that life force being a, an infinitely bright light that is being shielded by successive layers of coverings that, you know, so at the final layer, like a, just a very small speck of that light is getting out. And that's what you perceive as your reality as a human being. And so through training and practice, ment physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you begin to remove those shades and more and more light is let through your perceptive being, your mind. Hmm. And what that does then, Stephen, is you begin to experience life very differently. The world around you literally changes because you are the creator of that world. So in, in that experience, I think, um, you know, I, I think I was referring to a parachute accident or I've had many of those scenarios where I was near, you know, if I had done things a little bit differently, we wouldn't be having this conversation because this physical body would be gone or dead. Hmm. But because of my uh, training in meditation, which had led me to begin to discover these principles, whenever I was in a situation like that, I would naturally turn to that universal love, light, force, life force energy for guidance or to allow that to inform the situation. And yeah, I did that through awareness, through, you know, controlling my breathing, turning my attention inward, surrendering to that, and just being receptive to that. And when you do that, and, and what that does is brings your cognitive mind under control and the thinking under control, and it brings you into this present moment awareness and the present moment awareness, time and space basically change for yeah. you because yeah. time and space are constructs of the mind. They're they're a creation of the mind to, to organize um, the physical attributes of your being in this physical world, which uses time and space as constructs. And so when you collapse that present moment and you turn inward and you can allow the, the energy of your, you insert name, life force, unity, consciousness, spirit, then, um, you have access to a whole different world, a whole different range of options. 
and quite literally, miraculously, it seems like the outer conditions change and you survive. Like in that case, I, I surrendered to it and I was breathing and I was, you know, I don't, you could call it praying, but it, for me, it was trusting prayer and trust yeah. are kind of the same thing synonymous trust in your higher power i guess and it, it's not characterized i didn't contextualize it in a religious sense whatsoever i wasn't you know we're using any li- religious language or structure because that can also be limiting and suddenly my parachute opened up and I, I landed hard landing but i you know it's fine not a single broken bone and so experiences like that were just were so stunning in my military experience, what I loved about the, the SEALs is they offered me extraordinary opportunities like this to face death and to face this conversation that we're having about what's, what's, my, what's real, like what's really real for Mark Devine. Yeah. And, um, and the more and more experiences I had, and I'm obviously very grateful that I had this meditation practice before I went into the military. I'd already developed my mind to an extent where I could um, survive with these types of um, skills and, and I could lead with these skills. That it, it, it greatly accelerated my, my journey, it greatly accelerated my capacity to further open and to receive wisdom and intelligence by usually yeah. through the process of negation by by learning what things weren't by constantly emptying my cup yeah i get quite like that was like there's a lot of questions that are a lot of things i was very very curious about as you were sharing there mark and like one of the things you shared about those kind of layers and um sub, subconscious pro- programming from your parents society and and of course that's so prevalent right now um for everyone and uh, as that's part of human experience that you know everybody struggles with to to a degree mm-hmm. and you mentioned the physical mental emotional spiritual practices and training that helped you to kind of you know remove those layers mm-hmm. and you know the question that i was kind of holding i think you kind of began to answer was what was the most impactful empowering game-changing, just life-altering practice that you began to to do and evolve and develop? It's such a great question. You are aware that I teach a process of reintegration, or it could be called integration. It's not like we're born disintegrated, but we, we become disintegrated through the way we're trained, through the way we train our mind and the way our culture is organized. Yep. What I mean by that is, is you begin to believe that you are separate. First, the first disintegration is separation from spirit or God, right? And then you, and then that generates fears and desires. The fear um, of death being the primordial fear, and the fear that you have have separated, and then the desire to reintegrate or to to feel less separate. So you're constantly moving away from fear and toward desire. And then the further along we uh, get in our educational journey as children, uh, we get more and more separated through um, physical, you know, physical separation. Then we get separated from our actual bodies through um, the food that we're fed, you know, the crap and the mm. <laughs> poison food. And, and, um, and then you begin to feel 
disassociated from your body. And then you're constantly fed uh, negative news and, and negative violent TV and negative people, gossip, um, negative thinking, fear wolf stuff. Mm. And then and then your mind begins to separate from its truth of compassion and, and love and positivity. And so and then and then you then you get separated from because your mind is constantly distracted and in a fear state and stuck in cognition, you get separated from your emotional uh, states. So you don't feel anymore and you get numb. And so we, we, we disintegrate along these physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual capacities. So what I say is that an intuition also, which is kind of a, the felt experience of your mm -hmm. spiritual capacity, right? So we can reintegrate we can become whole again and experience life very differently and create our own world in a very beautiful and different way by acknowledging that and then beginning to train those different aspects of your being and bringing them back together you know it's like humpty dumpty fell off the wall and we can put it we put humpty dumpty back together but it doesn't take all the king's men and all the king's horses that just takes you your dedicated yeah. commitment to practicing um a path or a process of reintegration and, and so we call that a you know a practice and it's the same thing as a yoga tradition calling it a sadhana or the martial arts tradition calling it shogyu which, which is a practice it's a it's a, a organizing your life to reintegrate and evolve to become more whole mm. the good news is this is accessible to everybody the bad news is that most people don't do it and also in the west there have been scant opportunity or or mechanisms right and so you'd have to like journey to tibet in the old days or you know and it started to change it started to change in the 60s when um, mindfulness meditation was brought into the us and and yoga you know to become a buddhist meditation practitioner or a, a yogi then right you just you just didn't believe these and and also our religious institutions and and scientific materialistic institutions um academia as well as medical they all poo pooed them because they said well these aren't objectively validatable right they're just subjective and so um and so they they basically ignored them and denied them and so to this day you still have very very few statistically very very few people who are engaged on a process or a practice or a sadhana or shogyu to reintegrate this is why i created seal fit and unbeatable mind is to create a english language western culture path yeah. practice using language that you and i really understand and and you don't have to wear a turban or a robe or a buddhist you know adornments or whatever mm -hmm. you don't have to have any religious rituals or anything none of those trappings and and it's completely customizable and adaptable and doable in your time and place and in, in, in a way that works for you which is the way it's supposed to be yep. now you asked a specific question i gave you a very broad thing to say this is what's happening we're re we're in a process of reintegration and what we're reintegrating is the physical mental emotional intuitional and spiritual aspects of our being and so those five aspects i call the five mountains hmm. and i have training there's training tools to train each of those five mountains there's physical yep. tools not a like a tool that you hold on to but i mean there's tools that you do with your body, right? There's yep. 
Yeah, somatic movement practices, um, integrated movement practices, exercise, nutrition, you know, those things. And then, so those are physical. And then there's mental training practices. And then there's emotional practices that have come from uh, both Eastern and Western traditions that are very effective at clearing up trauma and shadow and all this kind of stuff. And then intuitive and, um, and all of, and, and it's not correct to say that there's a spiritual training practice because it's, you know, your spiritual center doesn't need to be trained, but there are, all of these can be considered spiritual yeah. practices to basically do what we said earlier is to reveal it. Right. Yeah. To reveal it. And you mentioned before, Mark, uh, you know, just, I suppose I've obviously trained under you, you know, I'm certified with unbeatable mind. I have progressed through five mountain training and, we do one to one work as well, which is really powerful. And within our one to one work, I, you know, I definitely was super curious and still am about that spiritual mountain, right? And you mentioned that you know it does a very close link to the emotional mountain. And you said it's like um, a tower at the top of the emotional mountain is where the spiritual mountain is. So there's a there's a link there within that. Um, tell us more about that kind of that connect connectedness yeah. between your emotional resiliency and awareness. Within that spiritual first, let me let me finish the question a little bit because the master practice that that transcends and ascends all five of those mountains is um, breath. It's the breath. So yeah. we begin the practice of the breath with a physical mountain and and the physiology of controlled nostril breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, has been kind of well researched now and you know, it, it, it leads to the arousal response being under control, right? Yeah. The arousal response gets stuck in kind of overdrive sympathetic nervous system turned on that literally research just came out that said that the, the neurotransmitter pathways can get atrophied for the downregulated response of the, of the parasympathetic nervous system through hype, the hyper arousal and hyper distraction of our cultures. And so everyone ends up getting stuck in hyperarousal. When you're in hyperarousal, your sympathetic nervous system is stuck on. You're constantly triggered into fight or flight. That becomes the new normal. And, and so you kind of get stuck in that new normal. And in order to feel normal, then, you know, two or three cups of coffee, some alcohol, you know, CrossFit, you know, everything jacks up. And that keeps your body in a, in a hyperaroused state, which is really not healthy. And, and it keeps your mind super agitated so that you can't calm down and do the inner work practices that lead you toward reintegration. And so it's, it's essentially a mechanism to keep you trapped in a lower vibration, which then keeps you trapped and shackled to a certain way of thinking, which then makes you useful to <laughs> the society that has structured things this way. Yeah. Right, because they need your energy to work to pay taxes and you know to feed the consumptive machine. And so box breathing, what our practice is, it, it the very initial first mountain physical mountain phase of that is to re um, energize the parasympathetic pathway, the downregulation pathway to 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 de-stress your body mind and to bring you in the state of physiological balance, physiological health so that then you can do the work of the mental emotional mountains. Yeah. Now, the breath is also a mechanism to train the mind through its concentrated power, right? And so through the breathing practices, 
once we get the down regulated state and get back into homeostatic balance, then we turn it into a concentration practice, which is essentially where Zen or your yoga would come in. Um, but you know, even with Zen and yoga, it was usually paired with some physical practice and breathing to downregulate the body and make it healthy so that you could do the mental development. And this has been missed in the Western culture. This is why I train the physical mountain first and you've got to get healthy physically and bring your body back into homeostatic balance in order to do the deeper work of concentration training. Uh, otherwise you'll be too distracted and agitated and your mind will be bouncing all over the place. And it also will be negative, right? And so a lot happens when you do this. Yeah. Work. yeah. So that, that's why the breath is a master tool because it, it, it's, the, it's the bridge that you walk between the body, mind, and the spirit and you train the body and the mind in order to reach that spiritual center that we've talked about. So now back to your second question is about spiritual energy. Well, like I said earlier, spiritual energy is just you, right? It's not something you can like shiny up through meditation practices. What you're really doing with meditation practices and concentration practices and breath control practices are to shiny up the mind that stands in the way or shields spirit from being fully present in your life or, you know, universal um, awareness, life force, energy, chi, right? prana, whatever word you want to use. It's there. You wouldn't be alive without it, but it's hidden from your view. It's obscured by a mind that is untrained, agitated, and negative. And the mind ex ex experiences the physical body or the physical body experiences the mind uh, both through cognition, through thinking, as well as through feeling, which is emotion. So if an emotion is simply a feeling state that you attach meaning to, sad, shame, joy. And so when your body is unhealthy and your mind is super agitated and programmed negatively, and is, you know, if you're just living out of your head and not your heart, then you're going to be five times as negative as you are, as you are positive. And and then you're force-fed negative and violent information constantly throughout the day, then you're going to be trapped and you're going to, your body emotional feeling states are going to be numb. But they're going to, you're going to have feeling states that show up as patterns, reactionary condition patterns. But you don't, you're not sensitive enough to really feel them. You just react. Or you're not sensitive enough to understand and, and make sense of why that pattern exists. So you just keep reacting a certain way, you know, and then we call those emotional triggers. Yeah. So once you start this work and of doing the work in the physical and the mental mountain, then you become much more aware and sensitive to the body mind and you're, and you are able to discern these patterns and to see them. Uh, as if you're seeing them from afar. And that, that's where mindfulness, the mindful awareness part of the breathing practice comes in. Once your mind becomes stable and concentrated and your body is in a state of homeostatic balance, then we have the capacity to sit calmly and watch our thoughts and begin to separate from those thoughts and emotions and observe them. And now you can see the patterns instead of be the patterns, right? And, yeah. then, and with that, now you get to do the work of the emotional mountain, which is to clear up the trauma, underlying trauma that led to those patterns and, and belief systems led to those patterns, which then opens up the possibility 
for much more positive energy to flow through you, through your spiritual intelligence, right? And these positive qualities are naturally existence. Again, they're just suppressed and, and overwritten, I guess, or another way to look at it is they're hidden from view by all this, these you know, other layered energies that society places mm. you know, in front of them. So that's why the first three mountains, physical, mental, and emotional, the training of those is so important to get through to the spiritual mountain or the way you said it. And again, these are just words and metaphors is, you know, like the spiritual mountain is a crowning. It's at the top of climbing the emotional mountain. You'll, you'll begin to, the, the intuitive mountain and the spiritual mountain naturally unfold to you because you are able to now see and feel and experience and perceive them. Again, those are just words. Um, we could have, I could have used other metaphors, but you know, I, mm. I created Unbeatable Mind back in 2011, and you know, it's 22 years ago, 23 years ago, and and those are the words and metaphors that I used, and and they work. They're good and they're timeless. But I often use other metaphors and and um, ways of explaining this. But I think this is a good one, and it's helped a lot of people. Yeah, Mark. So, like, you know. <laughs> Two things that are standing out to me, and I'm very, I suppose I'll just touch off one and maybe actually go to the other, um, I suppose, question I want to ask. But, um, and I think they're very connected in that I'm very curious about maybe a practical example or a practical situation in your life where you've, you know, you went through those, and, and it's a journey every day, I know, but you've kind of, you arrived at the emotional mountain and were able to work through trauma, you know, to come out, come out the other side and be in a spiritual space, no matter what, like what practical insight can you share in that regard? And I suppose kind of there's another side to that question where what do we need to know about your earliest years, I suppose, to make sense of the person you are right now, you know, in the context of who you are and what drives you and like, Mark Divine in its essence in your, I suppose you mentioned the subconscious programming as a child that you grew up with from culture, from parents. Like what experiences and what have you been through in your life that um are super relevant that you know we, we should know about Mark that have influenced you and and you know that have been a part of your life? Well, it's so many, but one classic example that a lot of people experience is the relationship that they have with um money and abundance, which is trained by their family, by their parents, or by their culture, both. And so I, you know, I grew up in a relatively, you know, compared to others, decent situation with a family business that had been passed down for, you know, almost a hundred years. Uh, but there was a lot of uh, stuck energy in that system, in that family system that was dependent upon that business passed down, you know, and, and the males would always take mm. a role in that business. And so there are a lot of expectations of me that were kind of programmed into me, expectations about the role of, you know, the children in the family and, 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 and teachings about money, because even though we had a, a sense of security with that business, there was always a sense of insecurity because there was a lot of attacks against the business, you know, union strikes and lawsuits and 
And my father, you know, was not on a path of integration. He wasn't a spiritual man in that regard. He, you know, was angry man, great guy. I love him, but he was angry and abusive and alcohol went back probably 10 or more generations in both sides of the family. And so there was all of that kind of trauma in my childhood and, and the relationship with money was one of lack. Even though we had this family business and we had a beautiful home, you know, we couldn't get the Big Mac at McDonald's when we went on mm -hmm. our trips up to, you know, up to the summer home. Because why? I don't know. Because Dad somehow <laughs> learned that he weren't wasn't supposed to spend money on the Big Mac, so you had to get the, you know, double cheeseburger. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I you know, and so I never understood that cognitively, but it, that the feeling state was feeling, that, yeah. Yeah. that was that we weren't good enough for to spend money, and and we weren't, and and um, I didn't grow up with that abundance sharing, right? And my father. It wasn't a good tipper, and he he was actually kind of a mean to people of service, um, put them down, and so there was all this stuff. That's trauma. Anything yeah. that is less yeah. than love is trauma. So in my later life, I had to like confront that and say, okay, do that's not working, right? And and the more I learned cognitively, the more it it showed itself that it. You can't just think about these things. You have to feel it, right? And so I really worked on feeling really generous and really abundant. So I, I started tipping 20% or more every time I went out to dinner. Um, small acts of kindness. I started sharing much more, right? Um, paying people in my organization more than other people pay. And I, I've got to do a lot better on that, you know, but, you know, still working on these things, right? And what I found is the more generous I felt through these actions, then the more um, abundant I felt and then the more money I had because the more value I felt for myself and more self-worth and the more I could charge and the more other people were attracted to what I was doing, the services I had to offer. And so the whole energy, vibrational quality of my life started to shift upward to a higher level of vibration because money, health, and, and, and relationships are kind of the biggest areas. And so I started to work on all three of these. My physical health has gone through the roof. I'm much healthier and stronger today than I was even in the early days of my SEAL team training, right? Where yeah. I would train my ass off, overtrain, and eat two pizzas <laughs> <laughs> and drink a lot of beer. And that was, kind yeah. of, that was a good that day. Was your, you, know? you celebrate celebrate your hard work. <laughs> exactly. You know? So, you know, now I really treat my body well, I train every day, yoga, you know, high intensity training. Um, I eat really light and um, I don't eat a lot of food. I eat really light meals, um, intermittent fast, you know, all this stuff. And so that all allows more energy to flow through the body. And the way I think is now much, a much higher vibrational level. I think with abundance and I feel that and I'm very generous and working on becoming even more generous. And, and I've, come, I've come with this kind of belief that since we are the creators of our own worlds, there's, there's not one world, there's 8 billion worlds. There's as many worlds as, our, as there are sentient beings. Yeah. But if you mistake the physical world as one thing instead of your unique version of a universe or of a world, then, then you get trapped also in separation. So yeah. I've learned that this world is mine to create 
my world. And so if I'm paying someone actually and putting money out in the world, then I'm putting money into my world. And so I'm paying myself. Yeah, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I'm paying myself. Yeah. So if I want a billion dollars, I should pay myself a billion dollars. What, I, what that means is you pay enough into your world so that there's a billion dollars worth of value. And guess what? You'll have a billion dollars. And so um, it's a radically different way of living than what I was brought up with. It works. Try it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Look, I, I do resonate, you know, with what you're saying. And I think, yeah, I'm definitely, um, given where I am in the business and what I'm doing, and, you know, I feel I feel I'm aligned to, to your own thoughts and, and where you're at and your actions as well. So that's very, and it, it does, yeah, I definitely feel the same as you in terms of the the output or the positive um, impact. 360, coming back to you, but also for those around you by, by having that generosity and taking action, really, you know, which is the main part of it all. Um, Mark, I suppose just, um, this is a kind of a sidestep of a question, but it just came into me. You see the world we live in right now, and you mentioned physical kind of you're, you're much more physically in a better place now than when you were even when you were kind of really when people were looking at it at your peak honor man navy seals they want to come back to that but the world we live in now is so much based on what you look like and aesthetics and social media all of that like what i know there's a lot of people that are you know listening in that would maybe post something on social media, not get enough likes and feel absolutely like shit after it or not put something up because they might think they don't look good enough. You know, what, what, like, what would you, like, what's your thought process on that? Or how would, like, what's, how can you, like, what advice do those people need yeah, to hear yeah. to overcome so, that? So that's a training system. You're training your mind, right? That system, that technology was created by people who benefit from you feeling bad. And so you're training yourself to feel bad. And when you feel bad, you lower your vibration. When you lower your vibration, you, you are able to be manipulated and controlled. And you will always be in shackles to someone else, you know, to the, to the system. You won't feel free. So, so stop doing that. That's what I say. Stop doing that. Turn off the news. Stop, don't watch TV news. Turn off violent TV shows because that's training you to be violent turn off Facebook or stop disengage from expecting anything from the interactive mechanisms, right? Just scan for news or for what people are up to. I mean, you, I'm not saying you have to disengage entirely from all those things, but stop engaging emotionally, detach yourself and develop a, a really soft, non-attached relationship to technology to other people even then eventually to your own desires and fears engage in the world but look at it as your playground don't let the world affect you and then work on creating a positive view of who you are really which is again discovered through your practices of negating all that you are not and you will begin to experience a lot more joy, a lot more freedom, a lot more um, compassion, peace of mind, peace of body mind. 
And the world around you then will begin to radically change. The outer world will change because it's just a reflection of your inner world. So if your inner world is all based upon fear and not getting enough likes on Facebook, then the outer world is going to be full of fear and negativity and it's going to be against you. It's going to be like in violent opposition to you. But if you disengage from all that and curate and the quality of your inner world to make it one of beauty and peace, then guess what? The physical world around you will become one of beauty and peace. Yeah. This is how we will literally at scale create heaven on earth in the future is because we'll have enough people who will be disengaging from the old negative thought systems, the control systems that were designed uh, to, you know, basically trap people in this fiat dollar, you know, European Union, EU, like all these fiat systems are designed to kind of trap people, then force them into labor situations, which are beneficial to, you know, a small cabal of owners or people who are controlling those systems. And and it's working right now to be, to move that to a global system, which is what COVID was all about. And so you can't fight against that because you fight, you know, you, you basically bring, you, you have to step down to that same vibrational level, which then hurts only yourself and, and further traps you and feeds their energy system. The only way to get out of that, and this is completely relatable back to the Facebook situation, mm. is to ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> ignore the system yeah. that you're feeling trapped in and, and, create and co-create an entirely new system that is built upon positive views, positive view of the future, positive beliefs about yourself and your capabilities as a human being and your spiritual nature. Yeah. Star star fear, star fear, feed courage, right? Feed the courage wolf and, and courage wolf means feed compassion, feed generosity, feed abundance, see the world as absolutely beautiful and a garden of Eden. And it will become that both for you individually and then for for those of us at scale who are thinking and believing and acting in this way. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah. Enough said, right? <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> so Navy SEAL has been a huge part of your life. Um, in the first book, you, you wrote The Way of the Sea, right? And, and that was a book I got my hands on, luckily, back right. in 2016. And uh, yeah, it was one of one of the most powerful books that, that I read so much so obviously that I continue to train under you on Unbeatable Mind and now one to one. And it's been massively impactful for, for me. And and I think um, you know, I, I want to kind of go back to that Navy SEAL experience you've had. And to to start this was Mark, like why why did you step into the world of the Navy SEAL? What like what was tell us about that experience that really you just stepped stepped in sure i tell that story in the way of the seal and, and a little bit in unbeatable mind but you know i didn't start out thinking i was going to be a navy seal in my professional life i mean you knew that story i you know Compton's from those some from different those humble, yeah from those humble beginnings in upstate new york from that small town and living in that family that i lived in you know i was trained and, and conditioned to think i was going to be in the business world and so when I went to Colgate, I studied economics and um, ended up getting a job after Colgate down in Manhattan with Coopers and Lyran, which is a big consulting accounting firm. Now Price Waterhouse Coopers. 
Yep. And they sent me to NYU Business School, Stern School of Business to get my master's in accounting, which I converted into MBA in finance. And so here I am, I'm in Manhattan at 21 years old, working to become a CPA, MBA, and, and eventually make a lot of money. And then probably go back and run the family business, you know, when I was 35 or so. That was my condition. That's what I thought I was going to do. Fortunately, you know, the spirit has its own way with you and, and it'll show you if you pay attention, right, what you're really supposed to do. Of course, I didn't know that. But the way it happened for me, the way I got to pay attention was I stumbled across. I was looking for something to do to train at night because I had a couple hours, two and a half hours or so between when Cooper's would let me off and, and I had to be down at NYU for my classes to start. And uh, because it was, a, you know, Cooper's was involved in this program. And so they, it wasn't like there's any friction between me going to night school. So I didn't have to work right up to like the time to go. So they let mm -hmm. people off who were involved in this program as a cohort of 70 of us, not just at Cooper's, but other firms. And, um, you know, we had, we had to go home and change and study and eat. And then we go to NYU. And well, for me, that was time to train because I was, a, you know, part of my origin story was, you know, because of all that negativity in the household and, you know, it was uncomfortable, but where I found a lot of solace and felt comfortable was out in nature. And so I would spend a lot of time outdoors and became a runner and endurance athlete and loved hiking in the Adirondacks and swimming. And I, be, I just really got comfortable outdoors and a lot of times alone. And so that was part of my conditioning was to train my body mind to be comfortable alone. That's why I really endured. I like the endurance sports because I could endure. Um, and a lot of people who grow up in traumatic childhoods end up thriving in endurance sports or, you know, challenging situations like the Navy SEALs because it's comfortable for them and it's easy for them. So it was for me. And I became a great, uh, not great, but a good swimmer, NCAA swimmer. Colgate was Division One, even though it was a tiny school and a competitive rower and a triathlete. So I carried those things in with me when I went to Manhattan, which was challenging because I looked at, you know, this is now the concrete jungle. And I'm like, Ooh, it's far from so, the old. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, it's difficult. And tough. Yeah. So I, I would run in the morning, uh, on the streets or around the park or something like that and wherever I could. And then, um, lunchtime, I, I would sneak off to the gym and, uh, do a high intensity workout. This is well before CrossFit. Yeah, yeah. Like Mark, there, even in that, in the, like you're talking 21 years of age now, right. And you're running in the morning, you're going to the gym at lunch. Like that's, that is not common. That's uncommon. It wasn't, it was uncommon and none of my peers were doing that. Maybe they were jogging here and there yeah. going to the gym once in a while. Why, why were you doing that, Mark? Something in me just told me that that was an important component of my life. I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't see myself as an unhealthy pasty suit. Right. And that's what I saw all around me. I said, no, this is not, that's not going to be my story. And uh, something in me told me that the, the physical body was really important to keep strong and healthy and that you could keep it strong and healthy for your entire life just through daily practice, through daily training. So I committed at that age yeah. to, train, to train every day. And that was a physical was practice, capacity. Mark, right? So you, you were, you know, on that, at 21 years of age, there was a real yeah. physical mountain development. Yeah, and you could, breathing we comes could get in into there. discussions about why, like, I don't know why it's possible that I was a yogi in my past lifetime and yogis are dedicated to training their bodies and minds every day. And, and, and yogis, you know, I've met yogis who are like 95 who are look like me, you know, 
you create your own reality. So if you want your body to be super healthy and fit at 100 years old, it'll be super healthy and fit at 100 years old. It's, it's the belief system that's important, but you also have to move the body and treat it well, right? Part of that belief system mm-hmm. is how you treat the body. Um, there are countless examples from the martial arts tradition of, of advanced martial artists who live two, three, 400 years old, right? And same thing from the yoga tradition. And so I knew, uh, I didn't know, this. Years I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this at 21, but I saw examples of older martial artists who were like really, really extraordinarily fit. And then I later got into, you know, I've read relentlessly and I've come across countless examples in the literature from the East about training to extend longevity. It's extraordinary. Anyway, so that it's possible that I had some of that already, you know, experienced yeah. maybe in the past life. I don't and know. I, if I can stay there, Mark, a moment, right? Just because I know we're kind of talking about that white piece. You know, you're doing a PhD now, is that right? And we will circle back to the Navy SEALs. I'm super curious about that. But you can clearly see that there is a ferocious drive, ferocious, relentless drive. Like, can you articulate that? What is it that drives you? What? Can you, can you just... it's, it's what drives everyone, but the, the intensity of um, the intensity and speed of growth picks up as you as your practice deepens. The ability to learn, the um, you know, you're con- the constant removing and negation, emptying your cup every day creates this vast hunger for more um, wisdom and more, not more content knowledge, but more clarity and compassion knowledge. Um, so the, as your, as your um, training and practice deepens and, and you're removing more and more of these obstacles, then um, motivation-wise, and the energy you have and the capacity to learn starts to accelerate right? yeah. and you begin to learn, you know, the vast potential of the human body mind. And so, um, it's, it's, there's, there's no complacency. There's no room for some, for complacency, but it doesn't mean it's hard. It gets joyful and spontaneous and, um, learning becomes, one of the most important things and you realize that's one of the main purposes that you're on this planet is to is to grow and evolve yeah and, and, and so for yeah. me that shows up as continuous training um meditate you know there's a point where i don't really need to sit and meditate i do it because i enjoy it meditation is taken off the mat and it's a moment-to-moment thing but i enjoy sitting and meditating and contemplating and rereading you know spiritual texts and i you know even though the work of the PhD is relentless and, and in a little bit of a pain in the ass. Um, it's, it's rel- it's super, super, super simple, right? The concepts like there, I, there's nothing that I've learned that I haven't already discovered on my own, but the, the way the words are organized and, and the names of the people who created the theories and, you know, all of that, that's new. And, it, and it's interesting to me. Um, so it's much less of uh, an opinion based upon my own subjective experience, but I can then kind of hang um, some of the theories that I've come up with in the training I've come up with. I can, I can, mm. I can reference other, you know, thinkers with more uh, clarity and, and also um, 
give them credit where credit's due because, you know, there's a lot of any training programs, just like Unbeatable Mind and including Unbeatable Mind is, is built off the back of thousands of people from all different cultures, right? That have then, you know, just continued to evolve um, wisdom and, yeah. uh, and differentiate wisdom from just knowledge. Knowledge where you, you collapse in and believe one thing to be right versus another, like knowledge of a uh, religious traditions and uh, scripture to think that, okay, because I'm really knowledgeable about one system and then I think there's no other system that is valid, then that actually limits you. Knowledge becomes a major obstacle to spiritual development. Um, what we actually want to do is begin to negate knowledge. But that doesn't mean that um, an individual like me on this path wouldn't benefit from having some um, identifiers of knowledge, such as a PhD, because it's going to help other people believe that I'm actually legitimate, right? So you have to kind of live in the world that you're in and yeah. not ignore or, I mean, you want to ignore the negative, but leverage the aspects of it that are going to be beneficial to help more people. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And like Mark, the PhD, right? Because it does link, right? Does it, you can see there's where you are right now when you were kind of a 21 moving from, you know, your job, going from PwC and into the SEALs. And I suppose we'll, we'll circle back to that. But just, can you just share what your PhD is in the, con in the context of, of what you're um, studying? Right. It's in global leadership and change. And I think you're right. Like just the name of it is perfect because I am a change agent, but I, I'm more like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I draw inspiration from Gandhi. He says, be the change we want to see. Yeah. But if we want to see global change, then we want to have global globally have people be the change that they want to see and we can do that at scale through the internet and through podcasts and through books these days and it's a very precious time in history you know and as as the as human consciousness kind of begins to accelerate and expand there's more and more teachers like me who are creating platforms so that we can create the change at scale but it's also changing always changing one world at a time mm. and what i mean by that is one individual change his or her world and then that person changes someone else's world and everyone keeps paying it forward and eventually there's a tipping point where it, it just the the outer world to them looks really different so it starts to look different to other people yeah and your vision mark you know if you want to articulate that because you're going to do a better job than i am but you can see how all of this is totally linked to your vision well, oh, I, my vision just to, just to give it a goal and a name and a mission is to is to train and inspire or bring 100 million onto, onto a, the path of integration, right, in the next 20 years. Yeah. I think it'll happen much sooner. Some people said it's already happened. Yeah. I doubt you're, it. You're on that path, Mark. Like, do you have a number where you are right now? <laughs> There's no way to know. Because, again, it's not like, I didn't say that I'm going to stand in front of 100 million people and train 100 million people. What I mean is 100 million people will be influenced through my work. Um, and it's going to be a team of teams approach, right? You're yeah. part of that. Yeah. A lot of your listeners will be part of that because they'll be like, you know, training, consuming, and they'll get on in the evolutionary path, the self-evolutionary path to make the world more positive, more abundant, more compassionate, more inclusive, more world-centric. And then they'll teach others. And then those others will teach others. And, you know, can you, over 20 years is a long time. You can, you can see how that will spiral out and spiral yeah. out and spiral out. And I'll keep doing my work, you know, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to get more effective at teaching and 
continue to grow my platforms of seal fit and unbeatable and my podcast, the Mark divine show, and, you know, write more books like uncommon, which is my next book to get out uh, in 2024 or 23. I mean, that's, that's kind of the vision. And then, you know, not hang my ego on it. Like it's not about me. Uh, I don't do it to say that, you know, I'm some sort of special guru or teacher. I don't, you know, I, I tell my team and my family, if I ever start to sound like that, please smack me down, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, some of the wisest people are, yeah, are, you know, considered the lowest by society standard, right? Look at Mother Teresa, and she, she didn't ask for her fame. She just keeps serving people. And um, that, that's the sign of a really good teacher is, is absolute humility. Humility. And also that they continue to do the work. They're never there. There's no there, there, right? Yeah, not, that's the Laurel's thinking, well, I, I've done my work. I don't have to do any more work. And that's when you're about ready to fall. There's totally connectedness between humility and doing the work, right? Because right. a humble person will know that there's always, there's more, there's room for improvement. There's mm -hmm. constant that's evolution right. and growth and that's impact. Right. That's right. Yeah. Like, you know, teams, you mentioned teams of teams, Mark, and, I, you know, it's when you look back at getting into the Navy SEALs, right, you were honor man, which was, a, you know, honor man in its, its name in itself, it's a huge honor and it's um, hard earned, right? And, you know, you have to really respect what it takes to come out through Navy SEAL training to be honor man. Were you, you think there was something more to that for you because, and you can tell me the percentages and the odds in this, but your boat crew all got through mm -hmm. and, and you and your leadership has a significant role in that. Right. So can you, like, I suppose, sure. well, just this, given that situation, this, tell me more link, about that. This links to the unfinished story about my time in New York. And so that time period between five and seven and when I had to go down to NYU, I was looking for something else to do. And that's when I discovered a grandmaster martial artist who was also a Zen master. And so I started studying with him. His name was Nakamura. You know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, there it was for me. And so at 21, I started Zen meditation. And it had such a profound impact on me. It wasn't easy at first, but I stuck with it because I trusted him and it began to work its magic. And I began to get um, insights into my true nature opened up my mind and began to deconstruct the story of that origin story that I talked about earlier yeah. that was built by my family and culture of origin. And what I was, what was real to me is that I was kind of going down the wrong, it was in the wrong lane, you know, becoming a, a business guy, at least at this stage of my life wasn't right. I was supposed to be a warrior. Didn't show me that I was meant to be a Navy SEAL. I really didn't know anything about the SEALs, but I was meant to be a warrior. And once I started to align with that and to, and to say, okay, well, that's it. I got to figure that out. I'm going down the wrong path. So I was really fortunate. Meditation led me to my midlife crisis at 23 years old. <laughs> it's like, I can't be a, uh, an accountant or even go back to the family business. I'm meant to be a warrior. So if I'm meant to be a warrior, how? And it was when I started asking that question that I was the seals were revealed to me by walking home past a... Uh, Navy recruiting station and I saw a poster. I didn't do a delivery, but you know, I just stumbled past and there, there was this poster about the Navy SEALs titled Be Someone Special. 
And I was just transfixed. And that led me into the recruiter the next day and blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. And so I found myself in 1989, received my MBA, my CPA, and my uh, black belt. And then I walked away from it all. and went to Officer Canada School in Newport, Rhode Island, then to SEAL training, which brings me back to your question. So in, in SEAL training, when I showed up, I had been practicing Zen meditation for four years and training the martial arts. And physically, I was really fit because I was a competitive swimmer, rower, triathlete. I had all that. Black belt. And so I was standing there with 185 really hardcore guys because physically they all had to meet the standards. But there was something else that I have that they didn't have. Right? I had a mind that was under control. That was unperturbed or un in, unperturbable about, by the instructors. I literally felt this big gulf, this distance between the instructors the words and the energy they were putting out and its ability to affect me because of the meditation practice. So they weren't able to trigger me. They weren't able to make me rattle me. And I was always in control. And I don't mean I was controlling others. I was controlling myself, my emotions and my thoughts. And I developed the capacity to, um, think positively through internal dialogue and mantras, right? And so I had mantras like feeling good, looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood, feeling good, looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood, which kept me really positive and motivated me and kept me in a positive energetic state, which is really important because your body will listen and the energy that flows through your body will dictate the power and the performance that your body has. So if you have hmm. negative thinking, then guess what? You're, you're degrading your performance. And so they, the instructor's job was to get people to, to, feel fear and to go negative and that would um put them into a, a a fight or flight state which then degraded their energy degraded their performance and also collapsed their attention inwards because they hadn't trained to keep their attention focused where it needed to be focused for me it was on the task and it was on my teammates so i trained my mind to be able to put my focus where it needed to be and so i put it on my my teammate and on the task at hand my team then was the small seven person boat crew that i was leader of it's my little team. We organized in the very first week of training and I put my attention on my team. I began to teach them, you know, skills like box breathing and I kept them focused on the task and I kept them positive and we, you know, we talked positively about these things and um, we developed these skills as a team and we were, we were, became really, really effective. We started winning everything as a team, mm -hmm. even Hell Week. We, we won, quote unquote, all the performance side of Hell Week. So we got secured like five hours before the rest of the class. So we were sitting and taking a hot shower and, you know, dry clothes. We got to go out on the beach and watch the class getting hammered for like three or four more hours. Um, and, and sure enough, you know, by the end of Hell Week, there were like only 70 people left. And by the end of the six months that we were in training, now it's nine months because they include the, the follow-on training that we did the SEAL team and now it's wrapped into BUDS. But at the end of six months, there were not only 19 people left in my class of 185. And my boat crew and I were part of that 19. Like more than one third was my small team of seven and I, and I was the honor man of the class. And, um, and I attribute that to the power of the team and the power of uh, the practices that included, you know, breathing and meditation and visualization to mental practices to really radically alter the experience that we were having versus the other students who were all quitters.
their experience, the world that they experienced during Buds was hell. And the world I experienced was heaven. It was awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't not challenging, but it was awesome. I had a blast. And it was the funniest period of my life because the instructors were absolutely freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you, like, you know, when you think of Navy SEALs and even there's all, there's a lot of shows that are out there even in Ireland, there's a show, you know, Ultimate Hell Week and that's, you can see they're um, triggering the participants or the recruits to challenge them. And, you know, you can, you can visibly actually see when, when they don't have control of their mind. And you, you know, you do one of the foremost reasons on empowering, I suppose, practices that you embodied to gave you the power to overcome that and to, to be where you are right now is, is that ability to control your mind. And um, that is something I think everybody is striving for. Everybody should be striving for, but I would imagine so far away from as well at the same time. Right. I agree. It's the only way out of whatever trap you put yourself in. And to be clear, everyone creates their own traps. You think you're trapped, but the reality is it's, the, it's because of your of the way you think. Now, it's, it's not fair to say it's all your fault because you have been trained a certain way, and that training is kind of force-fed, and you don't feel like you have any choice, which is true, especially when you're younger. But there comes a point when you become a fully autonomous adult that you do have a choice. So if things aren't working for you, then the training system that you grew up in Robert, is, is producing results that are suboptimal, then, then you have to retrain your mind and your body, your body mind, right? It's almost it's the same thing. Because if you're not training your mind, the world is training it for you and the results will speak for themselves, for itself. Mark, you know, I am, like, I mean, so much inspiration from what you've shared and, you know, how you've, how you got to where you are. And I think that, 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 moment and in, in the navy seals and the team and how you led the team it's just super inspirational like i mean that i i so much respect that you know um i have a question just around you know david goggins jocko are very um like you're a little bit different you know just from my perspective when i when i hear you speak in your language and you use your in the language you use and how you articulate the journey of development versus the way they do like mm -hmm. I'm just curious about what you feel on that or if you'd agree with that or if you have any thoughts on that. Well, both of those are like guys are like forces of nature, right? They, yeah. they have extraordinary physical and mental capacities, largely self-taught, but also partly because of their, you know, the way they were brought into the world, right? The, the genetics and kind of the conditions that were, uh, allowed them to or, or were part and parcel of their training of that body and mind that was extremely powerful in intelligence wise as well as physical capacity wise so both of those guys are extremely fit hardcore trainers Jocko with his jiu-jitsu every day and you know goggins with his ultra training mm -hmm. and they're really smart and i have a lot of respect for both of them um, and that's enough to get through SEAL training and to become an effective leader in the SEALs. And it's enough to grow a big business and a, and a following like they have in, in the world. 
it's different than what I'm, it was different than my path and different than what I teach because I've learned that those, you know, the, the physical and mental skills are, are valuable, but it's not enough if you want to be a whole. And if you want to also bring more compassion and, and light into your life and into the world. I don't see Goggins bringing a lot of compassion in the world. He's got one speed and he's heading straight toward a cliff. You know, eventually you got to find some balance. The yin and the yang have to be in balance. You can't be all yang, all action, all do, 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 because something eventually is going to break. Or at a minimum, you're going to get to the end of that doing and you're going to realize that you missed the forest for the trees. Maybe you've damaged yourself in your capacity to grow or to, um, to experience other aspects of life. Open your heart, for instance. Now, I'm not suggesting that Goggins and, and Jocko won't do that or aren't doing that because maybe they have a pro personal practices and a lot of what you see is like a, a, a persona. Yeah, yeah. It's a persona. I don't uh, carry, I don't do the persona thing because the more developed you get, the more uh, you take off those masks and you just kind of are raw, right? You are what you are. You're authentic. And I, that's how I choose to live. I, want, I, like, I like transparency and truth. And, um, but when it comes to building a business and, and using the internet to project an image, most people develop a persona and it's a little bit different than how they actually live. And so it's possible that, that that's true with Yagans and Jocko, but I don't know. I think they're also pretty authentic with what they're doing, but their energy is much more coming from force instead of power to use Dr. David Hawkins terminology. Um, much more telling versus revealing, telling you what to do and how to be versus kind of like leading you to self-discovery, which is my path, my story. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a great um, insight, I would say, Mark. Thanks for sharing. Just in terms of um, just one or two more questions and one of the questions just related back to, the, to, to your exceptional leadership and an exceptional team you were involved in is, you know, when you look at that, and if you can take looking at leaders of teams in the world right now and CEOs and senior leaders and the teams they lead, organizations they lead, what advice or what, what would you like to share with them to enable them to make a more positive impact in the world, given their, their role as, as leaders and the responsibility of that? Well, that's why I wrote the book, Staring Down the Wolf. It's all about the leader needing to get out of his or her own way and to do this kind of work because the leaders are trained through the system to project perfectionism when they're not perfect to have all the answers when that's impossible uh, to be the transforming agent when it's not any you know you can't every individual is their own transforming agent all you can do is um, create the conditions for transformation to occur and so leaders in the future will need to be whole people and authentic and transparent and uh, build a team based upon courage, trust, and respect and to allow growth, you know, to create the conditions for growth to occur in their organization. And so we actually do consulting around this with our, through our company Unbeatable, where we, we help develop vertically developing organizations, which 
are built upon this idea that everybody who comes and works in an organization is going to be experiencing and committed to growing. Yeah. And then the organization benefits from that. And so you don't have this, this adverse or kind of conflictual relationship with work. It's joyful and it's yeah. playful and you, and you go to work to grow instead of like go to work to work and then go to church to grow or to, go yeah, to the I mean, gym to grow or to whatever, wherever you, you know, wherever you. So that's the, I think that the next generations are going to demand that in their organizations. They're starting to see that, which is why people are quitting in droves and, you know, claiming toxic cultures and toxic yeah. leadership. And uh, they're saying, no, we want a new relationship with organizations and with leaders. And it's going to be one of uh, inclusion and mutually, mutually uh, or co-emergent optimism and, and positivity and growth. And when this um, organizations that align this way are going to thrive and organizations that don't will suffer and be disrupted. Same thing with leaders. Yeah, 100% Mark. And I, I, that's exactly what Live and Bone is all about. What I do with my business is that vertical development and growth for every person is part of that organization, starting with the leader and the leadership team. Um, so totally. And and th thanks for sharing that, Mark. And look, I, I suppose just um, a last question or kind of a, maybe something to explore, but it's it's... I suppose, look, basically, Mark, people are listening in, right? And if you were to speak to them and speak to the heart, uh, you know, and to just challenge them to do something different, different for themselves, to make that impact positive within their own lives and for those around them, what, what, what would you challenge them to do or challenge them in any way? What would you say to them? Well, your mind will create your world. So if you want to change the world, change your mind. And that just starts with a choice. And the choice is to begin to take control of the mind and begin to examine the, the belief systems and thought patterns that have created the conditions that you're not happy with right now. And then deconstruct those and replace them with more powerful, positive, abundant, compassionate beliefs and thought patterns. And, and your world will miraculously change. And it'll happen quickly. But you got to get control. We start with box breathing, basically to, to de-stress and de-arouse and, and, and de-addict your mind and get you be able to, to sit comfortably in, in silence. Because in the silence is how you begin to remove those layers that are encrusted over your head and those old beliefs, patterns, and systems that are holding you back. And in the silence, then you can begin to reconstruct and, and train your mind to be more positive and abundant. So don't lose, you know, losing faith or living in fear is exactly the way you've been trained and it benefits certain parties. So just don't fight that. Begin to turn off the things that cause the fear and trigger the fear and feed the courage wolf. Open your heart. That's oh, for Mark. Sounds easy, but it requires, <laughs> it requires daily practice. Daily. And I think that that's a daily, consistent daily practice like rungs on a ladder at one step at a time yeah. and you you know you never know where you could end up but if you take the right action it could be massively transformative for you and for, right. for your family and and that's where you start right. if if not you who because you are the controller of your yeah. world then you're the one that has to change it don't expect someone else to change it 
they're just going to take from you or I don't know, you know, you can't change somebody else. You have to change yourself. So you are it, if not you, who, and if not now, when, right? Is there some <laughs> other, so is there some other future that time that's going to be better to start training to change your future? No, if you don't start now, your future will never change. Thanks so much, Mark. Um, you, I just want to like, just say Mark, right? So thanks so much. I mean, I could talk for another Hell week. We do a hell week in this mark, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a full week of just different conversation. But like, I mean, obviously, I um happened upon your book, The Way of the Seal, uh, you know, 2016. And I've next to me here, I've got Unbeatable Mind, I've got Staring on a Wolf, trained under you, still training under you. I mean, you've had such a positive impact on my life. And awesome. for so many reasons, the people can clearly see your humility, your dedication, equipment to growth, your dedication, equipment to other people, and your vision. To, you know, I've no doubt you realize that. And I know you mentioned earlier that there's people that are around for 200 years. So you, you might be one of those people as well, right? No doubt if there's someone going to do it, you'll do it. So, um, <laughs> you know, happy days, right? And look, I just want to say thanks, Mark. And it's been amazing. And uh, look, if you've any, any last comments or any last things to share with the guys, I'll definitely include um, a hell of a lot of links to your resources and your training. And sure. I'll be spreading that message, man. But if you've any last message, feel free to share now. And, not at all good yeah no i appreciate all that feed the courage wolf right the most important yeah. thing you can do is get positive and stay positive and your vibrational raise and your, and your world will change everything else we said is germane but that's the master key right there feed the courage wolf <laughs>